Welcome to the Padres Mission Podcast. This right here is your host, Fernando Mendez. Now, why do we call this the Padres Mission Podcast? Well, the home of any friar is a mission. And this right here is your mission for San Diego Padres news, opinions, hot takes, and much, much more. Now, today, while I record this, I am not joined by America's favorite co-host, Andrew Ciccarelli. He is a very busy man. Can't blame him for that. I've been busy myself. But before I explain what's been going on, I would like to take this opportunity to thank Andrew Ciccarelli for all he does for this podcast. Your work is not unnoticed, my friend. Thank you very much. Our listeners appreciate you, and I appreciate you. Now, speaking of people we appreciate, let's really boil this down. We truly do appreciate our listeners. Now, for both Andrew and I, these last couple weeks have been crazy. He's been very, very busy with work. And I have been very, very busy because I am currently working on moving out of San Diego. Uh, so these last, you know, week and a half, two weeks, I've just been absolutely insane. It's just Box Village where I live right now. But uh, exciting things on the horizon for my family and I. Uh, we are very much looking forward to moving. But, uh, you know, the worst part about moving is everything that comes with it. Packing, the stress of packing, and oh my gosh, we're so far behind, things like that. So uh, that has taken up a little bit more of my time than I truly care to admit. But, um, you know, enough about that. I really do want to appreciate you guys for being supportive and uh, hanging with us. Um, I did not even post episode 13 on social media and uh, it's one of our most popular episodes so i want to thank you the listener for truly helping make the potter's mission podcast what it is today Uh, you guys do everything you can to make the show better but once again keep sending that feedback whatever we can do to make the show better for you guys let us know we will gladly do whatever we can to oblige to everybody Padres Mission Podcast at gmail.com is going to be the best way to get a hold of Andrew and I and let us know how we're doing here and what we can do to make this show better for you, our listeners. So, we have been working on quite a few interviews and we finally got one to come into fruition. And we were joined by Tim Haggerty of the AAA El Paso Chihuahuas. He was a great guest. He was very generous with his time. We want to thank him so much for joining us. But uh, without further ado, here we go. Tim Haggerty. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. This is Fernando Mendez, joined here by my co-host, Andrew Ciccarelli, and Tim Haggerty of the El Paso Chihuahuas. Uh, Tim, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. No, no, thank you. I speak on behalf of Andrew and I when I say we're really appreciative of your time. Thank you so much for being generous with that. Um, now, do you want to go ahead and inform our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, for those people who might not be uh, as familiar with uh, you and your work. Yeah, I'm the broadcaster for the El Paso Chihuahuas, the Padres AAA team. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with some former Chihuahuas that have migrated to San Diego. 
and uh, have, have been doing that job in the Padres organization for a number of years now. Um, held the same position with the Tucson Padres. And prior to that, for three years, broadcast games for the Portland Beavers. Um, and then two years in Mobile, Alabama, which at the time was the Padres' double-A team before uh, they transferred and became San Antonio. So, um, yeah, seen a lot of Padres minor league games over the years. And because of that, just just have really enjoyed the times I've gotten to go to Petco Park or San Diego. It, um, I've never lived in San Diego, but I really do feel a familiarity because of that, because of all those years around the organization. Yeah, no, it's easy to see why. I mean, if you're so attached to organization in any capacity, I would only imagine as a, you know, as a broadcaster, because, you know, you're talking about these guys and essentially you're watching them grow. So, you know, I can only imagine that, you know, you really would feel tied into the organization. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to put it. And you see a lot of other people grow as well. You know, I know it was a tough September for the Padres and their fans in 2019. Um, you know, the losses piled up and the manager, Andy Green, got, got fired. But, you know, that was a, a really interesting time for me and for us in El Paso as well because Rod Barajas was the Chihuahuas manager for three years. Very likable guy. Loved El Paso so much that he made it his offseason home during those three years. Um, so he became a friend. And um, even though it was only for eight games, I believe, maybe seven games, that was that was pretty cool, you know. Um, it's a very short list of people that have managed in the major leagues, and Rod Barajas is on it. I mean, I was curious about that. There's only about 700 people in history that can say they were a major league manager, and, and Rod can say that. So it is fun to see things like that develop. Yeah, no, I would, I would only imagine, you know, short list of managers and players and really people have made it to the show period in any capacity. So that's got to be really awesome for you guys. Uh, so you guys, are, so you, you've already kind of alluded to this, but let me formally ask. Uh, tell us about the journey and how it's been for you and how you enjoy being an affiliate of the Potters organization, I guess throughout uh, the various organizations that you've been a part of uh, for AAA. They're a great organization. Um, there's some things that are subtle that fans might not realize. For example, the Padres, as far as I know, they still do this and for years have done this. They will quietly write a check and donate it to charities in their major league affiliate cities. Um, the Padres obviously do a lot for charities, military organizations, what goes on in San Diego, but uh, it really doesn't get a lot of fanfare. But as far as I know, they'll still write a check to Fort Wayne and um, tri cities. And uh, when the, the tragic shooting shootings happened in El Paso on August 3rd, Padres ownership made a significant donation. So, they really are an organization that treats the affiliates as part of the family. They've had two exhibitions games here in El Paso. It's uh, more than an affiliation. So, um, you know, I, I think that we talk about the great farm system, and that deserves all the praise that it's getting with the hard work that they're accumulating these talented players. But, you know, there's also an emotional side of that, that the Padres really treat their affiliates like part of the family. Yeah, that's really cool. So I, I guess, like, following up on that, um, with how much they treat the affiliates like a family, do you ever get to, like, interact with other broadcasters or people from other organizations to kind of see, like, a contrast to how the Padres do it? Yeah, I think that, um, for the most part, it's friendly affiliations across the game. Um, in some cases, when there's a new affiliation change, I think sometimes a minor league club and a major league club can have some time getting used to each other. 
the good news is here, you know, it goes right up to the top. Um, management and ownership of the Chihuahuas, they'll get together, they'll have a spring training dinner. It's really become a friendship from the, the top to the bottom. So um, I, I would say, you know, without being able to measure this, that it's a very close relationship, as close as anybody in the game. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's some affiliates across the country that I'm trying to think off the top of my head um, what the longest ones would be, but um, there's a couple of different clubs across the country. You know, I know the Omaha Storm Chasers have been Kansas City's AAA affiliate um, since the beginning, which I guess would be the Royals' 1969 expansion season. So while the Chihuahuas and Padres don't have that type of history yet, there really is a closeness. Yeah, the Omaha, when you go to Omaha's ballpark, they have this big mural and it shows George Brett and Dan Quisenberry and even some recent guys like Hosmer and Alex Gordon um, in their Omaha uniforms. It's this great painting on the side of their ballpark. And Omaha is just a couple hours from Kansas City. So that's a pretty neat affiliation. They're an opponent of the Chihuahuas, so we have a chance to go there every other year. Yeah, that's really cool, especially with that kind of history. Having cool like, Yeah, with George Brett and everything. I hope the El Paso has that kind of long history with the Padres. Yeah, me too. Yeah, if we can see uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. in a mural with some other guys, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it was fun back right. in 2016. Uh, El Paso won the league championship. And as we fast forwarded the next uh, April, April 2017, on a regular basis, it was Austin Hedges behind the plate, Hunter Renfro, Manuel Margo in the outfield. And at that time, Carlos Esfahe was getting time at second base. And that was really rare to have four position players become everyday players in the major leagues that were teammates in AAA just a few months earlier. Usually, you know, it's more scattered than that. Um, but that was pretty cool, you know, to see a nucleus like that sort of go up together. Yeah, that is really cool. It's, it's no wonder that they ended up, you know, going as far as they did that year. Yeah, yeah. memorable year. It was uh, the Chihuahuas won the championship and the, the clinching game was an 11-inning game, and the Oklahoma City tying run was left at third base at extra innings, so it was a, a thrilling night. <laughs> yeah, that, that is really thrilling. How was it like announcing that? Was it, was it pretty exciting? It was. That was a highlight. Um, I've been a minor league broadcaster for 16 seasons. That's That was the first time I had a chance to see a championship series at any level in any league, so I really tried to take it in. And if you took that clinching game and you dropped it into the – middle of May, it still would have been one of the most exciting games of the year. So not only get to call a championship and the team was kind enough to give me a championship ring a few months later, but to have it take place in such an exciting game was really special. And we have great fans here and the clinching game took place on the road. So it was fun that following winter, a handful of people would come up to me and describe where they were when they were listening and their reaction to it. And that's what you want as a broadcaster to be communicating these games to people that really are invested in them. Absolutely. You, you know, you get a chance to be, you know, to have some kind of immortal call to your fans. And that's exactly what you want, right? You want to something that people can tell you, wow, you know, I was at, I was, you know, driving on this freeway when I heard that call and, you know, you wanted to be memorable. So I can only imagine how awesome it is for you to hear. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, you hope it comes out well because, uh, it gets replayed a lot, 
I remember sitting in a doctor's waiting room the next winter and there was a, a commercial for Chihuahua season tickets and there right at the top of the commercial was my voice and that highlight and the team celebrating. Um, you know, it, it airs on the broadcast open the entire following next season. The highlight video that they put together when the Chihuahuas take the field the next season, it was involved there. So it gets replayed so much. You hope it comes out nice and neat and clean and enthusiastic. And I was lucky the final play was on a ground ball to third. It wasn't some bizarre thing like a rundown or something. So um, not much potential to stumble. So luckily it came out well. <laughs> Dude, that's that's super, good. That's good. Yeah, really, really cool. All right. So, uh, Tim, baseball is a game that creates relationships, especially when you see these gentlemen every day. Is there any players that you've gotten especially close with over the years? And if so, who is that player? Yeah, there's uh, a handful that come to mind. Um, yeah, I know. I know you guys remember the 2015 Padre Cody Decker. He's he's probably the the one Padre or the one player that is in my cell phone and will text occasionally that I'm in the most touch with um, off the field. You know, I, I really don't have a social relationship with a lot of these guys, but but Cody has become a friend. Um, he was with Tucson for two years and El Paso for two years. So he was with the Padres AAA team four years. And not only that was the most entertaining interview I've ever been part of. Um, he was such a gift to have. You guys remember him, right? His videos and all the antics and the movies that he does. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. He was on the okay, Padres. Yeah, yeah. So you, uh, okay, yeah. I assume people uh, listening to your podcast don't need reminding of uh, his jokes and, and how active he is on social media. And that was a great gift to have because it's like, um, okay, it's a travel day. We're flying to Fresno. It's a Tuesday. I, I need an interview to fill this pregame show. Hey, we haven't had Cody on in three weeks. Let's see what he's up to. <laughs> um, and, and inevitably you're interviewing Cody Decker. And by the end of the interview, he has brought up some obscure movie you've never heard of or, some band that you hadn't thought of in a decade, it, um, the interviews would just get twist and turned in all different directions. And um, he actually is uh, at least part-time living in El Paso now with a big role of a, a youth baseball academy here. So he, uh, in the city of El Paso, connected so much that even now that he's done as an active player, um, he's working here. So he he's one, he's the player I'd say I know the best um, in part because of how many games I was around him. But then he, he really had a personality that would draw him to the broadcaster in the succeeding um, 25 AAA teams that he played for. No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> listening. Just kidding. But um, And all the other AAA teams that he played for, you know, the broadcasters would come up to me and they'd say the same thing. I'd say, man, Decker, what a character. Um, he was really, really fun to be around for that reason. Not a lot of uh, not a lot of players like that, you know. You seem to hear a lot more of the uh, Barry Bonds kind of guys. Yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting topic. Players and their their attitudes. Um, I guess the question for my job would be: Would you rather a friendly, polite gentleman that really doesn't like doing interviews, or a guy who's a jerk but he does it? Um, at the end of the day, we need the, the tape to fill the pregame show, so <laughs> I'd probably take the attitude and the guy that actually says yes to the interview. But um, I think in, in most cases, these are 
nice guys that have worked hard, that are focused. Um, very, very rarely, you know, I, when you say Barry Bonds type, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, I'm translating that as somebody that might be, you mean difficult to work with and maybe an ego there. And, um, very, very rarely have I experienced that. I remember, um, years ago, the Royals broadcaster, Ryan Lefebvre, very nice guy had a theory. He said that major league baseball players and professional athletes, it's just an amplified version of what they already were. So somebody you work with, somebody you went to school with, somebody you're in line at a gas station with, if they're a jerk and you give that person fame and tens of millions of dollars, well, they're probably just going to be a bigger jerk. Whereas <laughs> if you have a friend who's kind, who does charitable things, who's polite, you know, that's going to be somebody like Trevor Hoffman that does a lot in his community or Mike Sweeney that has donated so much to charity. You know, that's an amplified version of a very nice guy. So, um, I can you know, the more I go along and interact with players, I think Lefevre is right about that. Um, all of us in our workplace, you know, for the most part, we like everybody. There might just be an occasional person you don't click with and that happens too. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you, so I guess like uh, when it comes to that, did you notice any like difference in the types of players that maybe got large bonuses in the draft versus players that were kind of grinding it out? Maybe didn't have that kind of signing bonus. Um, I think that comes up more in the lower levels. My first season was rookie level Idaho falls. And for almost all those players, that's their first professional season. You know, weeks before that season started, they were either playing high school baseball or college baseball. And there, there's an obvious disparity between the guys that got a significant bonus. They're the ones getting more attention from the roving instructors. Whereas maybe there's a, a college senior that got $1,000 that's there to fill out the roster. And, you know, we'll give them a look. Maybe I'll have a shot. Sometimes those guys do make it to the majors. Um, but I think more of the difference is how they're viewed. Every city you go to, you know, people would want to interview Hunter Renfro. You remember he was um, at times among the, the top Padres prospects. Whereas, you know, to me, the best stories are the other guys that do make it to the majors. Uh, Seth Mejia's Breen hit a walk-off homer for the Padres in September. This guy is in his late 20s. He's been in the Mariners organization, the Reds organization, Um he was getting to the point in his career where he's a very solid player, excellent contact hitter, good fielder, hard worker, takes care of his body, very polite, professional. But I'm thinking I could see him in the major leagues. At the same time, he could be one of the better players to never make it. And what a thrill it was for him that he gets that shot in September and then played well. Um, to me, those are the best stories, guys that are maybe in their 30s making their major league debut um decades from now people probably won't remember them as much but you know what they're in the encyclopedia they have a baseball reference page and they overcame a lot to make it you know and going back to cody decker i remember talking to him about that one time um cody was a great minor league home run hitter and same thing in college at ucla and um i think he wished that he got more of a major league chance than he did but as he said, like, you know, he wasn't bragging, but he's saying, hey, I'll, I'll live forever. I played in the major leagues. And he's right about that. Um, 
there's only 19,000 people in history that have played in a major league game. And Major League Baseball goes back to 1871. It's really a small list of players. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah. only a small percentage of players that go through the minor league system ever get to play even a single game in the majors. So it's definitely yeah. super impressive. That- Casual fan might not realize this, but you know when a guy is drafted next June, um, very few of those guys will even play in a AAA game. It's just the numbers. Yeah, what yeah. sense it boils down to, absolutely. Odds are never really in your favor to make the show. So, you know, it's incredible when no. guys can even make it for a single game or a single at bat even. Yeah, sure is. All right, so uh, actually, uh, that's a perfect segue to my next question. You kind of touched on it a little bit, which, I mean, you, it seems to be the theme so far, so I guess we got to thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> is there any players who you imagined were destined for a career in the majors who either never got the opportunity in the show or didn't flourish to what people believed was their full potential? Yeah, there must be. Um, gosh, who's on that list? You know, sometimes somebody pops into your head and you thought, I, I would have <laughs> thought they played better, would have played better than they did. Um, but as far as when you ask on a broad scale, um, you know, um, you guys remember Reimer Liriano. He was so talented in it. Oh, yeah, he, definitely. First off, he, he still is playing in, in AAA baseball and still could, um, and I'm sure will get more major league time. But I guess, you know, as you guys remember, for years, he was the Padres' number one prospect when it came to Baseball America. And there, that one wasn't really his fault. In um, spring training in 15, he was hit in the face with a pitch, and it caused serious damage. And I... If he played that year, it was very little. It might have wiped out his whole year. And, um, you know, Pat Murphy, the former Padres manager and the bench coach, I remember him saying he had a good chance to make the Brewers opening day roster in 15. Um, yeah, I remember that. When he- I, guess, I guess he'd be one that, yeah. I, you know, you guys probably remember, remember in September of uh, 14, he got called up and hit that massive home run off the Western Metal Supply Building. I think it's still one of the longest home runs in Petco Park history. Had a great arm. Yeah. You know, I don't know if he would have became an all-star, but I thought that maybe this is a guy that... Um, yeah, the potential was there. Yeah. And you know who another one is? And this one also was attributed to injuries, is watching Alex Dickerson for a couple of years, I really thought he could become a, an everyday major league outfielder um, because he was so physically strong, but also good bat-to-ball contact skills, um, just always hustling, worked so hard on his conditioning. Coaches loved him, just a hard-nosed guy. I remember watching Alex Dickerson and thinking, you know, you could rewind to a game in the 1940s and drop this guy in there, and and he would fit in. (laughs) There was an an intensity there. Um, And actually, you know, last year he ended up with the Giants and hitting pretty well. So that was kind of a revival after he missed two full seasons. But I thought when I was watching him in 15 and 16, I thought this guy might be the Padres left fielder for a handful of years. 
but uh, didn't happen because of the injuries. Yeah, he he had yeah. great minor league numbers, and then he came up to the majors, and Absolutely. yeah, like yeah, like you said, he just got injured, but he would do well in this time that he had. Yeah, yeah, and um, best of luck to the two guys I mentioned. Both were really professional. Always said yes to an interview. I remember Pat Murphy was the one that told Reimer Liriano he was going to the majors. Um, what happened? He, we were in Salt Lake City, and in the middle of the game, the athletic trainer received a text message, tell Murph to get Reimer Liriano out of the game. The trainer is the only person that's allowed to have an active phone in a minor league dugout. You know, the coaches all have their stuff back in the clubhouse, and um, when the Padres are going to call up a player, they will pull him out of that minor league game just because they don't want to risk an injury. And Reimer had, I think, jogged on a ground ball, and Pat Murphy pretended to be furious and take him out of the game, <laughs> thinking he's in trouble, um, only late in the game to go over and tell him in the dugout the real reason he was being pulled for the game, and, and Reimer was very emotional getting that call to the major leagues. <laughs> That's great. So it's uh... got to be such a cool moment. Yeah, how was Pat Murphy that you know as a manager? Because I I know uh, I went to ASU <laughs> and I know he has like a big history at Arizona State. Yeah, yeah, he's got the stadium named after him. I've heard just nothing but great things about him. So how how was it getting to know Pat Murphy? He's one of my favorites. He is a character. He um, was such an entertaining storyteller. You know, he would when we were on a bus from the airport to the hotel, he'd grab like the PA mic on the bus and just start making comments about things we were driving by. You know, he'd say, all right, boys, we're going to take a tour of Fresno now. And he's <laughs> pretending to be a tour guide of Fresno, and he's just making up these completely ridiculous things about that's where Beyonce grew up over here. And, and <laughs> um, in some cases, these these 23-year-old players are believing it. <laughs> um, but he, he was really entertaining. You know, you'd... He was really into bonding and um, among the team. So you'd you'd walk down to the clubhouse to get the lineup, and and somebody would walk by wearing a bear costume, and you'd say, "Oh, Murph's up to something." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but we've been really lucky in El Paso. Uh, all four managers have been have been great. Pat was the first when he became the Padres manager. Jamie Quirk took over for half of a season, and it was great to hear his stories. Played a long time in the majors. Really old school guy. Um, and then Rod Barajas for three years, had a chance to broadcast a lot of playoff games for Rod's three years. And then Edwin Rodriguez last year, Chihuahuas had a great season last year. They had the second most wins out of, um, all six of their seasons, but did not make the playoffs because Las Vegas happened to be better. No wild cards in the PCL, but Edwin's very intelligent, um, just his observations and his 40 years in the game. I really enjoyed talking to him as well. So. We've been lucky with managers, and that's big with my job. If they're willing to share information, what new players are arriving, that really helps you prepare. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And I, uh, I mean, I guess like, do the the Padres have a history of like kind of going for more old school managers for their AAA teams or their minor league teams, or do you notice like more of like a drive towards like analytically driven managers these last couple of years? Um, the Recent handful of managers, you know, Rod is in his early 40s. He was the youngest. Um, prior to El Paso, Terry Kennedy was the manager two years in Tucson who had a great playing career, had a lot of experience in the game. 
So, so far with the AAA manager position, for the most part, it's people that have been around decades in the game. That's not to say they're anti-analytics. I think that's what's really impressive about Edwin Rodriguez. He's so knowledgeable about today's game and its tendencies. Um, you know, one day he was telling me about the recent baseball books he's read, and he'll read Astro Ball, and he'll read Big Data Baseball, that book about the Pirates. Um, I think that's kind of a misconception. There are some gray-haired people around the game that sort of <laughs> roll their eyes at numbers and spin rate, but I think there's also a lot of people like Edwin Rodriguez who have been around baseball 40 years, and they're still very open-minded and using these things to help them win AAA games and help the players get better. So um, I think in that sense, I mean, if I was a general manager, that's what you'd want, right? You'd want somebody who's seen their share of games that can draw on those experiences, but also learning what baseball has become. Yeah, that makes sense. And that doesn't seem like it'd be something that's age-related, more probably personality-related, right? Yeah, I agree. I, I even think about that on the broadcast side. Um, all of our games are on radio, so you don't want to overwhelm people with numbers, but you also want to share with them an explanation of what spin rate is um, or you know, fielding-independent pitching or whatever you want to yeah. get into. Um, you know, make sure they know the score, make sure they know where you are, make sure you know the basic things if they're just tuning on their radio. But, you know, this is 2019. I'm going to say OPS a lot more than I did in 2009. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, then I'm sure it's like, you know, as the the fans change to the game, they're probably getting more excited when they hear things about spin rate as they become more familiar with those topics. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think if you explain it in a conversational way, I hope they would. Um, I wouldn't just say Brian Mitchell has a 1,200 spin rate. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, because <laughs> without looking, I don't even know what that means. Never mind the listener. But <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell you You right could say things that. like, uh, like a pitching coach told me one time that when, it, when a pitcher is getting fatigued, a sign of that is the spin rate is going down a little bit, and he's just not getting that snap on his pitches. You know, to me, that's an interesting point that anyone can understand. Yeah, definitely. Do they have like uh, like the the TrackMan or the radar systems in the minor league stadiums to tell like what the spin rate yeah, is in game? They do. Um, as far as I know, every Pacific Coast League park has it now. A couple of years ago, it didn't. And the cool thing is, it's starting to emerge on the video boards as well which you guys get to enjoy at Petco Park and the major league stadiums will tell you pitch type um, where, you know, a recent history in AAA games, you'd see the miles per hour, but that was it. So I think that's, what's pretty cool is that we're starting to receive distances on home runs. um, And that can add a lot to the fan experience and assist broadcasters as well. So um, yeah, AAA parks aren't, fully equipped the way every major league stadium is, but they're getting there. It's, it's not far behind. Oh, that's, that's really cool to hear. I, I definitely yeah, enjoy yeah. seeing the different pitch types and the, and the speeds and the home run distances as a fan. So that's really cool. Yeah. I think, um, they're still working out the, the kinks in a lot of parks. I remember last year, Francisco Mejia hit this home run. He was batting right-handed, hit this home run to left center field. And the guy in the press box said, uh, Distance five hundred seven feet, and I thought, "What?" <laughs> and, uh, 
I mean, it was crushed. I I thought he was going to say 470-something. I mean, I knew it was one of the longest home runs of the year. Um, I don't know. I kind of walked it the next day, and I thought, I don't know. But um, I'm not taking anything against him. It was one of the longest home runs I've ever seen. But 500 feet, you're talking about, you know, Mickey Mantle, Josh Hamilton stuff there. Yeah. Yeah, I was at an Angel Stadium one day when Mike Trout, uh, people were saying he broke the stack cast because it said like 520, and I'm just like, yeah, no way. <laughs> so I, I've seen that myself in person. <laughs> it's always pretty funny. Yeah. All right, so last question, because I know you've got to get out of here. Um, so uh, real quick, for some of our listeners looking to get into your field, what would you recommend, and how much do you personally love your job? Seems like you love it a lot. Yeah, I have uh, been very lucky. I do love it, always have. Um, I went to high school in Massachusetts, and my high school had this TV class where kids had the opportunity to do play-by-play, and that's what got me into it. So I've been really lucky that I've at least occasionally been broadcasting games since I was 17, Um, and now I'm mid-30s. So it's been like uh, more of my life has been as a sports announcer than it wasn't. So that's pretty cool. And, uh, advice, I think, um, if you can pull it off, I think in broadcasting, it'll really help you if you have a willingness to move to other cities. I know some people with their family situation might not be able to do that. And in which case fight hard to get opportunities in your hometown. But, um, I grew up in Massachusetts went to college in Vermont and in my early twenties went from Idaho to Alabama and then. Portland, Tucson, El Paso. And I think that's been a a gift of it. I mean, why else would I have been to the stadiums in Montana and Tennessee? And that's been really cool to be able to say I've been to almost all the states. So, um, you know, what's that phrase? uh, Whenever you're about to say have to replace it and say get to, you know, if you're, if you're looking to be a TV anchor or a radio DJ or a play-by-play announcer um, say I get to move to Iowa not I have to move to Iowa because any new city you go to I think you'll leave with some great stories so I think have that willingness and and also uh, don't take feedback too personally I look back to when I was in my early 20s and a, a man came up to me in Idaho and told me that I don't say the score enough I remember the rest of the day of that bothering me. And looking back, it's like, it's not even like he was even being critical. He was just making an observation. And, you know, looking back, like that guy was not receiving what he needed from me. He wasn't getting that score update as much as he wanted. So he wasn't telling me I'm terrible. He wasn't telling me to quit. So I would say when you're on air and and somebody gives you some constructive criticism, don't take it personally. They're not saying you're terrible. They're just saying, hey, you know, you got... You get some food on your shirt. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll look at that, you know? Sometimes if they do say, uh, even sometimes when they do say you're terrible, I mean, you know, take the feedback, ask them why you're terrible, and try to adjust. Right. It. I mean, you know, everyone's got to have a different opinion. And I think that's kind of the hard part about this industry, whether you're hosting a podcast or, you know, you're a broadcaster for a, you know, AAA organization. You know, you kind of have to try to fit your style the best as you can to everybody. You know, and obviously it's impossible. Yeah. So you got to try to juggle. So. Yeah, we could spend a whole other podcast on this subject. I, um, 
it's like, it's like, yeah, do you do something really outside the box? Do you just go crazy like Gus Johnson? Do you make funny jokes like Vaskirjan and Josh Lewin? Or do you try to be mainstream, try to have a smooth, solid voice, get all the facts in, just do the game as solid as you can, um, and please the mass audience? You know, I, I guess the phrase I heard that comes to mind is somebody said there's something that you and only you can bring to a broadcast, and that is to be yourself. At the end of the night, did your effort, did your commitment to thinking about that listener um, come through? Are you satisfied with it? You know, try to be yourself. Don't try to do impersonations of people. I've heard that when teams or a radio station is sifting through demo CDs, I guess it's not CDs anymore, but, you know, links, however people are submitting their demo. And in some cases, they can identify what part of the country they're from based on the delivery. Oh, this guy sounds like Vince Scully. He grew up listening to Dodgers games. Um, this guy's basketball sounds like Marv Albert. You know, he must have watched the TNT games or been a Knicks fan. So I think one of the best compliments that you can give an announcer, and all of the Padres announcers have this, is that they don't sound like anybody else. Especially Ted. Ted calls a game like nobody in the history of baseball has ever <laughs> called a game. And, and for that reason, is one of my space, for that reason is one of my favorites. You never know what he's going to say next. And that's why he's such a great listen. So um, I've kind of taken that from Ted is that, you know, when you're doing the game, make sure that's you. Make sure you're talking about what, what you would say, not what Vin Scully would say. Yeah, that Perfect. Makes sense. Great advice. Yeah. All right, Tim. Uh, where can our listeners, uh, you know, find out more about the El Paso Chihuahuas? Where can they find out more about you? Um, please tell us about the organization yourself. Yeah, great website, uh, epchihuahuas.com. That has a link to our broadcast. There's MILB TV. You can watch the Chihuahuas, and you can also listen to the uh, audio feed on there. Um, and, you know, also, uh, if any San Diegans are listening, El Paso is a great growing city with a beautiful ballpark. And I always enjoy meeting San Diegans that come here and uh, have a vacation to El Paso, El Paso to watch the Chihuahuas. That happens every year. I meet people that that is the story. So, um, and as far as me, um, I do have Twitter. It's TD Haggerty, one word, no underscores, no numbers. That's it. And uh, yeah, thanks for asking that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for your time. We really do appreciate it. Uh, you're our first minor league uh, interview, so we're hoping to uh, get around to the other organizations. We've reached out to them, but we really want to thank you for being the first one uh, to take time out of your busy schedule to do this for us. We really do appreciate it, and uh, hopefully one day we can get you back on the show, maybe in the middle of the season, and you can update us about you know some of the guys coming through the organization. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks, Fernando. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, thanks for thinking of me. Thank you very much to Tim Haggerty one last time. On behalf of Andrew Ciccarelli 
and myself for taking time out of his busy schedule to join us on our little show. We really do appreciate him taking the time to do that. It was a lot of fun having him on, and we really hope that you can come on and uh, join us in the middle part of the season, uh, at any point really of the season. We don't really care. We just love talking baseball, especially with somebody who's, you know, very, very involved in AAA El Paso, who can maybe help some of our listeners learn about, you know, some prospects that maybe fly under the radar a little bit. That's the kind of thing that I love about baseball. Just those those Cinderella stories, those guys who, you know, just people aren't really paying attention to, yet they should be paying attention to. That's what makes baseball the best game on this planet. One last time, thank you, Tim Haggerty, for your time. Now, to the rest of our loyal listeners... Padres Mission Podcast at gmail.com is going to be the best way to let us know if you like this style of interview. Now, we are planning on reaching out to other minor league organizations. In fact, we've already have reached out to a couple involved with our San Diego Padres just so we can, you know, dive into their organization and let some of our listeners know, you know, how involved they are with the San Diego Padres. You know, how involved are the Lake Elsinore Storm, the, you know, Amarillo Sod Poodles, etc. So uh, I think that's going to be a really, really fun segment. We do have other guests in the works as well. We are trying to get uh, various teams of the NL West, uh, representatives of their organization, to come on and uh, maybe talk about how our quote-unquote rivals, uh, you know, maybe some more than others, um, how was their offseason, what acquisitions did their organization make, all that fun stuff. I'm also really, really interested to get uh, the Locked on Dodgers podcast on our show so they can talk a little bit about the Astros scandal from a reputable source in the Dodgers organization. I really want to see how they feel. And I'm not talking about the fans or the city council. We all have read the stories about the city council, you know, demanding that the World Series trophy gets handed to the uh, Dodgers. And we've seen the fans, you know, filing class action lawsuits or trying to. But I really want to know what's going on in a fan's mind for somebody who's not making, you know, an impulse you know, lawsuit, some, you know, what are they truly feeling? That's stuff we are going to ask when we can get them on our show. We have been in discussions with them. So we are very much looking forward to that. And we really hope that that interview does take place. So one last time, guys, thank you guys so much for joining us here on the Padres Mission Podcast, your home for San Diego Padres news, opinions, and more. I am Fernando Mendez, your host, and I am signing off on behalf of our co-host, Andrew Ciccarelli. Thank you, guys. One last time. Have a great rest of your day. Go Padres!